You're listening to The Roots Podcast by 12 Oaks with hosts Greg Puglitz, where we'll be joined by industry leaders to discuss and highlight the character, competency, and care that is required to successfully manage senior living portfolios. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of The Roots Podcast brought to you by 12 Oaks Senior Living. I'm your host, Greg Puglitz, and Today, we have a very special guest. You know, if you've been watching our podcast, you've seen that uh, over the past several episodes, we featured uh, different members of the 12 Oaks team. And uh, today, however, we are going outside the organization. And I'm very pleased to introduce Anne Bargeron. Anne Bargeron is a uh, longtime colleague of ours. We've worked with Anne uh, at a number of communities over uh, several years and uh, always enjoyed the relationship with Anne in 12 Oaks. And so, Anne, welcome to the Roots Podcast. Thank you so much, Greg. It's great to be here with you. Awesome. No, we're really pleased to have you here. And with everything going on in the industry these days, I'm really interested in some of your insights about the industry, particularly, uh, you know, from the viewpoint uh, as an investor, as an asset manager, and, you know, how you see kind of the state of the industry and where we're at and what some of the challenges are. But but before we get into that, maybe you could uh, tell our audience a little bit about kind of your background and experiences in uh, senior living. I've worked in the industry for 20 plus years, started in high school. I'm just kidding. Um, but have had the opportunity to work with a number of investor groups, um, ranging from pension funds to international private equity to non-traded REITs, um, US-based private equity companies. And most of these ownership groups that I work with, I help them establish what I would call an asset management framework or sort of an asset management function um, because owning and you know, these senior housing assets was more um, sort of intense, complicated, um, time consuming than they originally anticipated. I've had the opportunity to work with 12 Oaks in three of the four companies that of the last four organizations that I've worked with. So um, have known of 12 Oaks um, for a while and had a great um, working relationship with you guys. You know, that relationship between ownership and the operator is just so critical to achieve success. And, right. You know, the synergies between the owner and the operator, uh, you know, having um, linked visions, understanding the business plan for a community or for a portfolio, right? Working together, you know, to achieve those end results is so important. Unlike other asset classes, it takes a lot of time and effort to kind of pivot on a business plan. There are just so many intricacies to it. So, you know, that kind of leads us right into the first kind of question I wanted to talk to you about or get your thoughts on as a seasoned investor and asset manager, I'm wondering what are some of the lessons you've learned that you wish the investment community would pay more attention to in order to be successful in senior housing? This is really a very capital intensive real estate class. And I think 
you know, many times I think investors look at this a little bit like it's apartments, you know, so maybe there's some turnover cost or, you know, eventually you have to put a roof on the building. It's probably more akin to hotel um, in the capital intensity, maybe than the apartment spectrum. Um, and I think that investors um, have to be prepared that they're going to invest in sort of, I would classify it as three sort of distinct areas in a community. You've got unit turnover, which I think people coming from the apartment side of the investment world understand that piece of it. Um, and then you've got um, building systems. Um, so things like, you know, the roof, the boilers, but things specific to our industry like call systems and pull cords and um, wander guards and things like that, that, you know, obviously you would not have any of that in multifamily. And then, you know, a pretty large investment because, you know, the square footage in many of these buildings, 50% is common space. Focusing on, you know, making sure that those are appropriate for the use of our residents, um, you know, is certainly another place that you're going to have to invest. And I mean, I think we've seen um, over the last, you know, a lot of our housing stock is over, senior housing stock is over 20 years old. And uh, many of those buildings are probably at this point functionally obsolete. The unit sizes themselves, if, you know, it's very difficult and, you know, just in the assets that I've managed, if you have overall um unit size that's less than, you know, call it 275 or 300, you know, newer properties in the market are probably going to be 400 plus square feet at a minimum. So you're definitely at a disadvantage, you know, with very, very small unit sizes. And then, you know, some of the older buildings, you know, depending on the vintage and who develops them, you may have common spaces that are just not functional for the resident population that we have today. So that we've got the problem of these vintage communities being in a largely functional obsolete. What do you think investor ownership groups that have these types of assets in their portfolio, what are some things they can do or should do to be able to, uh, you know, improve those properties? Sometimes, you know, communities can get by that, you know, don't have the greatest you know, drive-by feasibility or don't have the greatest, um, you know, frontage or, you know, sometimes you can get around some of those things. Um, but I think, you know, the small unit size in a smaller building um, is going to be difficult to, you know, get around unless what I would call you have um, a resident base that maybe is not necessarily the, the primary payer. So you have residents that are using Medicaid or, you know, other third party sources, PACE programs, things like that, um, where their options are more limited um, in a certain market. So they're not comparing your 200 square foot building to, you know, the building down the street that's their unit is 400 square feet with a nice kitchen and a large closet and, you know, a very large bathroom. Is there a way you can, you think that we can overcome? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can't make a 200 square foot unit, 300 square feet. Can we, are there other things we can do 
as an operator and as an owner that we should spend money on in the operations, be that perhaps activities, programming, you know, staffing? Are there other other opportunities there, you think? Most definitely. And I think we've had buildings that, you know, 12 Oaks has managed over the years that have had smaller unit sizes and, you know, you make the common areas functional and updated, but in certain markets, you you realize that your ceiling um, on rent is probably going to be lower. So you, I would think you, you know, you have to take that into account. And, you know, to the extent that you can fix some of the things in those units that you know, are lacking. Do you have space to actually build a closet? I know that 12 Oaks has managed buildings before that didn't have closets. Um, So, you know, can you add closets? Can you add a kitchenette? Some of those kind of things to make you more competitive with newer products on the market. Um, I, I know that we've looked at buildings where, you know, sometimes occasionally it makes sense to, um, to combine units if your overall unit count is such that um you know the economics make sense so you're not going to take a 40 unit building down to a 20 unit building but you might take a 120 unit building down to a 110 unit building by combining you know the very smallest studios or converting um let's say semi-private assisted living units which in most middle to higher income markets are very difficult to lease. Maybe you take out walls or, um, you know, reconfigure some of those units so that, um, you know, you're creating a large one bedroom, which has a lot of demand um, in a certain market. And we've certainly seen that in um, some properties that you guys have worked on that I've been involved with where, Uh, We had some very successful um, conversions from semi-private to private. I think those are the kinds of things that investors should look at is where is your vacancy in the building and what can we do, you know, to fix that? What makes it more market appropriate? For your points, you know, the quality of the physical plant is, is really of paramount importance. So, what do you think investors and owners should think about and, and how should they prioritize things to ensure communities stay relevant to the senior population? The community being, you know, clean and well-maintained is obviously um, the base there, but having amenities and also, you know, units that are attractive to the residents and also to the adult children who are, you know, in many cases, you know, pushing and, you know, this decision to search for senior housing and may ultimately be the decision makers. As we talked about before, the increased acuity in these buildings, you know, causes some additional wear and tear that, you know, probably 10 or 15 years ago, you could get, you know, you could turn a unit two or three times before you had to change the carpet. Well, I don't know that that ever happens um, these days. Um, And, you know, whether it be because of walkers or wheelchairs or incontinence issues, you know, having a good unit turnover program so that you can 
prolong the finishes that are in there. I think there's a lot of things that you can do that are cost effective that make um, the units look more updated and especially more appealing to, um, you know, the adult children. One of the things that I know we um, worked with you at 12 Oaks a lot is putting in what I call apartment size refrigerators, not those little bitty tiny dorm refrigerators that are difficult for residents to get into. The other thing that I think is important is to develop um, sort of at the management company level, you know, what are the expectations for and the standards for a unit term? So if, and that's also, you know, obviously working with the investor, whoever originates that, maybe the investor gives you what their unit term standards are, or, you know, the operating company is giving that to the investor and, you know, you're deciding on a property by property basis what's appropriate. If you've got some geographic concentration, I know that um, it's always difficult to get a contractor to come in and do some kind of, you know, one-off turn of a unit. But if you've got some geographic concentration and you can find someone that, you know, you can tell them, you know, we're going to have at least three units a month for you to turn, or we're going to have five units a month, um, I think you get some you know, reliability and, you know, quality control and things like that if you're not constantly using a different contractor. I think you've got some really good points, ideas on what's needed, you know, from a CapEx point of view. You know, one of the things as an operator, you know, we've we've often uh, struggled with is an owner investor will come in and, you know, go, okay, we're going to spend all this money and we're going to do this and this and this and this. And suddenly expect that the occupancy is going to go from, you know, 80% to 95% in the next three months, right? So right. alignment of expectations, you know, seems to be a, a, a thing, right? So how do you as an asset manager for an investment group work with an operator to make sure that the program, the CapEx program is appropriate and then what do you do uh, to make sure that the operating results are achievable and ultimately achieved? I'll begin this by saying I'm neither an engineer nor an interior designer nor an architect, but um, have worked with all those groups, you know, extensively and, you know, several positions. But I think the, um, as you said, you know, as investors and you know, people will will look at an older building and go, okay, well, you know, let's let's paint it and put some carpet down and, you know, it's fixed. But, you know, to the extent that the carpet is smelly um, or torn, then people are not going, you know, adult children are not going to be able to get past that fact to understand that the operations there might be good. So there's this delicate balance of, you know, doing, you know, and updating what's appropriate. But before you start that, you've got to figure out, you know, do we have good operations? What do we need? What do we need to do to get there? The investor obviously has to commit an appropriate amount of money to do the scale of work that you decide on, you know, that the group decides on. And second, you've got to have an interior design group slash architect that 
understands senior housing, understands what you're trying to accomplish, um, understands the budget, um, and is listening to not only the investor, but the leadership in the building and the management company. Um, obviously, the management company, the operators got to be in, you know, in alignment with what's going on. And I think lastly, you've got to have the right leadership team. You know, are you engaging with salesperson to say, you know, what are people asking about? What are people asking for? Who are our competitors? What do they have that we don't have? You're engaging with the ED to make sure that they're in alignment with, you know, what's going to be done and the kinds of price increases that, you know, potentially follow a renovation. So you've got to have buy-in um, from the ED that, you know, they're in alignment with, first of all, first off, doing a renovation, you know, what the plan is, our hypothesis is if we, you know, upgrade this and do upgrades to the units that we're going to get $1,000 more in rent. If they're not in alignment with that, you know, it's not going to be successful. Operators really have to um, be held accountable to maintaining the finishes and to using the spaces, you know, as they were designed. Because if you build a second dining venue, you know, that's not inexpensive. But if you don't operate a second dining venue, then you've just thrown that money, you know, you've thrown that money away. I love your comments about alignment at the community level. It's so important that the on-site staff, the leadership there, the operator, management company, and the investor, owner, asset manager all have the same vision and they understand the business plan. At the next level, you know, one of the things that's really been a focus for operators and ownership groups over the past years is a lot due to a lot of the disruption in the industry. There's been a lot of turnover and uh, changeouts in, in uh, operators and management companies. We've seen the failure of some large owner operator groups. We've seen small operators get absorbed and gobbled up by larger operators. And the whole, you know, kind of landscape between the ownership group investors and the operator seems to be in quite a state of flux right now. It's a lot of conversation about that. We need alignment. And, you know, a couple of years ago, people would say, you know, alignment means, well, the operator needs to make an investment in the community of 150 grand, 200 grand, 500 grand, whatever, right? I can tell you from an operator's point of view, the fact that I, whether I have a, in, financial investment in a community or not doesn't mean I pay any more or less attention to it, right? We love our children all the same. And we have a duty of care and a responsibility to the ownership groups to honor our contracts and to, you know, give all the attention necessary and to make sure that we're properly resourced to properly operate these communities. So in this, you know, kind of challenge landscape, you know, we're, we're starting to rebuild senses. Operating expenses are still a significant challenge. The lack of capital investment, you know, due to higher interest rates is kind of, you know, hamstrung us a little bit. How do you define alignment between operators, 
and ownership groups and investors, how do you see those relationships best developing and being structured to uh, ensure their success at these communities? Honestly, from an, an investor standpoint, if, if I'm an asset manager, I, I would want the operator to be almost agnostic as to, you know, do they own it? Does XYZ own it? Does ABC own it? Now, you know, truth be told, I would like, you know, all the assets that my manage to be the top priority, but that's not, you know, how the world works. And, you know, we should ask that people be agnostic as to whether um, you have an equity investment in, you know, building A, but you don't have an you know, an equity investment, you know, in building B. So hopefully you're providing, you know, ideally an operator's providing the same resources across the portfolio. The other thing I think as investors, just my perspective in looking at this over 20 plus years is that we've been um, pretty cheap and really paying the people that for success, getting their alignment through financial incentives. And, you know, that's at the community leadership, that's the regional leadership, that's the corporate, um, you know, entity, um, that's the operator. To get alignment, all those people need to be successful. And I think investors have been pretty cheap and more concerned about counting their pennies. Um, and I think many investors don't realize let let's talk about a turnaround building you know that has everything from you know bad debt to low census and um you know also maybe has challenges in the survey i mean you really have to have the entire leadership team pulling in the same direction business office manager ed the nurse you know everybody there's there's lots of problems and when you get to a successful end there, all of those people should have had a financial incentive for, you know, collecting the bad debt. And I think there's an underappreciation on the investor side as to what a heavy lift that is. I mean, you guys have taken on um, buildings that I'm aware of in certain markets where, you know, there was a very heavy lift, you know, and it had all those problems. Incenting the leadership and incenting the management company. And I don't think you, that necessarily the management company has to have an investment in the actual real estate. Can you, you know, is the management company um, incented to, you know, to beat NOI goals? Is there, you know, some kind of um, incentive for creating value at the end? Um, because if everybody's pulling in the same direction and you double the value of building, we ought to be paying the people that really did the work um, for doing that. Now, would that involve some capital investment? You know, yes, it might. And there should be recognition of that. But putting lipstick on the pig doesn't change bad operations. And that's not going to change the trajectory of of a building. I appreciate those very candid comments. And uh I agree wholeheartedly. And and the key is alignment, understanding each other's goals and objectives, 
and working together on the challenges, right? And, you know, solving the problems. Appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us here on the Roots Podcast, hosted by 12 Oak Senior Living. And uh, wish you uh, all the best. And we can't uh, wait to be working with you on our next portfolio. Sounds great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Roots Podcast by 12 Oaks. Get connected with us on social media and at 12oaks.com.